Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. Currently 38 degrees and cloudy here at 510 on this Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van temperature controlled and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Well, we have some breaking news out of the political uh, arena. Former Governor Chris Christie is dropping his presidential bid. It's coming from Politico. I know other media organizations. I started to get text messages on it already. Um, it appears uh, they expect Nikki Haley to expect to benefit from that. Chris Christie is ending his long-shot presidential campaign in what could be a major boost to Nikki Haley's chances in New Hampshire, according to two people familiar with the decision. The former New Jersey governor has been in the GOP's field's most vocal critic of frontrunner Donald Trump and had staked his campaign on uh, the first primary state. But his path there narrowed as Haley started to surge in polls on the heels of several strong debate performances and with the backing of popular GOP Governor Chris Sununu, which also opposes Trump. Pressure has been rising on Christie, who draws from a similar pool of more moderate Republicans and independents as Haley, to drop out before the January 23rd primary to avoid splitting the anti-Trump vote. New Hampshire is the only early state where Trump polls under 50% on average to where Haley has come within striking distance of him in some surveys. So we'll see. It's not unexpected. Uh, I think most people saw that it was him running was not sustainable. Uh, but, you know, he, he did ride that coattail of being the critic of Trump, the most vocal critic there. And we'll see who picks up, uh, you know, where that comes from. So that's the breaking news. Again, that's coming from Politico here, but I know Town Hall has it, and I appreciate, you know, the texters who are sent, sent me the information as well. So uh, that's what we have there. So we're, we were talking, we talked about in the 4 o'clock hour, and we're going to just go over it a little bit now in synopsis. This gun violence archive, it's a not-for-profit based in Washington, D.C., and it's been named and used by people as high up as the president and the Supreme Court justices in justifying cases, in justifying legislation, in justifying members of Congress, senators, governors, mayors, news agencies such as CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and to, to the Associated Press's credit, they use more of a FBI and CDC stat to determine what's a mass shooting and what's not. Now, they determine a mass shooting is anyone, four or more people who are killed or injured. That's a mass shooting. Um, a lot of that goes on, and no one could care less about it, unfortunately, except the police and family members of those victims. It's as simple as that. Mass shootings, gang shootings take place in our inner cities every day, unfortunately. Um, a lot of times, thankfully, not fatal in most of these cases that I'm going to mention. But when they, when they use it to say after a school shooting or after a shooting at a mall or a shooting at a workplace to throw out there, well, there were 643 mass shootings this year. You're giving a false perception. I'm all for addressing crime. I'm all for addressing gun crime. And I got a text message uh, earlier that said, uh, and, and it's their choice to do that. Let me see if I could find it here now. 
I use body count. Four or more dead or injured, that's it. It's a mass shooting. What difference does motive make? And I responded back because laws and policy should acknowledge the motive and why in structuring laws to address crime rather than targeting lawful owners with useless regulations. It's as simple as that. There is not... Now, this this gun violence archive lists seven mass shootings so far in 2024, and that's what caught my attention. And I said, it's only January 10th. There's really been 10 mass shootings in this country. I mean, we know we had the school shooting in Perry, Iowa. And I was pretty much, that was really, am I missing something here? And and I went through, and, and their mission statement, again, they're a not-for-profit. They have one major benefactor donor who started off by donating donating to them uh, half a million dollars. Now I believe it's up to $800,000 a year to run this, this website. And the website's in-depth. It's good to track gun crime. But don't misinterpret mass shootings with gun crime because addressing the two are two different factors. Now, they say their mission is the Gun Violence Archive is a not-for-profit corporation formed in 2013 to provide free online public access to accurate information about gun-related violence in the United States. If they just did that, it would be fine, but they're portraying this as mass shootings. The Gun Violence Archive will collect and check for accuracy, comprehensive information about gun-related violence in the U.S., and then post and disseminate it online. It is hoped that this information will inform and assist those engaged in discussions and activities concerning gun violence, including analysis and proposed regulations or legislations relating to gun safety usage. They are hoping people like the president, like mayors, like governors, like members of Congress, like the Supreme Court, take this information to base regulations and legislations. And it seems that this organization is always named after an incident like a school shooting, a mall shooting, a church shooting. Those are what we consider these mass shootings. And and legislators really could care less about that gang shooting in San Diego. They could really care less about the gang shootings in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New Orleans, because they happen all the time. And, And they list these, and that's exactly what these are. Um, January 1st, officials confirmed the teen killed by gunfire on New Year's Day in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was a freshman at the high school. Again, this shooting didn't happen near the high school. School was out because it was January 1st. But the media portrays this as, you know, this high school student was shot and killed in this drive-by shooting. And that's what it was. A total of four other teenagers were also shot. In this drive-by shooting, this is gun crime, not a mass shooting. Um, Also on January 1st, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, that was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for that high school student who was killed. Again, nowhere near a high school, shot with four others in a drive-by shooting. The next one on January 1st was Springfield, Missouri, where a security guard who possessed a rifle unlawfully because he did have an arrest was working a New Year's Eve event— It was into New Year's Day. He says someone pointed a firearm at him, and he fired four or five shots into the ceiling. Somehow, four people suffered gunshot wounds from either shrapnel, debris, or ricochet. And the incident 
is under investigation. He says he was never aimed a firearm at anyone, and he never tried to hit anyone. The only reason he was arrested is because he didn't he didn't lawfully possess a firearm. So that's what he was arrested for. He wasn't arrested for assault. He wasn't arrested for anything else. He was arrested for being a person who was not legally able to possess a firearm. January 4th, Perry, Iowa. That was the school shooting from that 17-year-old, again, who legally cannot possess a gun, a handgun. Had a troubling social media history, which was brought to the FBI's attention. Mental health issues. The family says they didn't see anything coming, but everyone around him did because someone notified the FBI. Mental health issue. January 4th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Again, another drive-by shooting at 2 p.m. where five other people were injured. The motive and suspect or suspects are still unknown at this time. Police said both witnesses and victims were uncooperative. Do you consider that a mass shooting? Yes, it is a gun crime. It is a gun crime with multiple victims. But that is not what the president, members of Congress, mayors, governors, everyone on social media when we have an incident who says, oh, my God, we've had we've already had seven mass shootings this year. That's not the kind of crime they're trying to portray to people. Here you got in. uh Where was this town? This is WDHN ABC affiliate in Henry County, Alabama. Four people were hit by gunfire and several others sustained injuries in what law enforcement say was a keg party turned into a shootout. Basically, there was a keg party. There was an altercation. Five or six individuals started shooting at each other. On private property during a keg party where you pay $5 a head to get there. So you got a bunch of drunk idiots who got into an altercation, and instead of working it out, they decide to shoot each other. Most of the injuries there were from car accidents or falling from people fleeing the gunfire, but there were four people struck by gunfire. And you also have the Warrington, Florida, on January 9th. That's the most recent, where four people were shot in Escambia County on Tuesday morning uh, during a drive-by shooting. And again, the extent of all the injuries are unknown at this time. No one has been charged at this time, as both witnesses and victims are uncooperative. And my point being is facts matter in an investigation, as facts matter when you're dictating, drawing up legislation. Any proposed new law that's been brought up in the past three years does not address this type of crime. Enforcement, proactive policing addresses this type of crime. Uh, but they don't want to go there because, you know, police is a bad word the past couple of years. So you don't want to say that. You don't want to give police more power. You don't want to give them the power that the Supreme Court says is justified, is lawful. Stop, question, and frisk. And again, there are safeguards in place if that's abused. If you stop, question, and frisk someone and it goes to court and they find you not guilty because the police officers violated your rights in finding that weapon, then you get a civil attorney and you sue and you Present your facts there. And if you have a preponderance of the evidence, which means 51%, you get a monetary settlement. That's the way the system works. You do not take away a valuable tool from law enforcement simply because you don't like the word police anymore, because you don't want them doing proactive policing, because you want to make up reasons to make everybody a victim. 
You know who's a victim here? Everybody I just described who's shot. You know who's not a victim there? The people illegally carrying firearms committing crimes. They need enforcement. They need punishment. And that's the way you address that. Not by making up there's all these boogeyman mass shootings in America and using the emotions of a school shooting, a church shooting, a mall shooting, uh, or a, a workplace shooting to strike fear in America that that is uncalled for. It's uh, 522 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thank you very much, Rob. This traffic update is brought to you by Penteladata Internet. It appears 84 eastbound is moving problem-free at the moment. We have no reports of any accidents. You will run into still heavy traffic on 247 in Mount Cobb. Hopefully not run into it. Well, don't run into it. Please use caution. Slow down before the traffic. Safe distance is always nice as well. (laughs) It is a bit bumper-to-bumper on Blakely Street in Dunmore, Music Street in Scranton, and William Street in Pittston. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, cloudy and breezy, low around 30. Thursday, clouds, breaks of sun, a chance of snow showers or a sprinkle, high around 40. Friday, sun and clouds, mid-40s. Saturday, a mix of rain and snow, maybe, low 40s. But Sunday, the frigid air returns. It's going to get cold, down in the 20s. Don't know what's going to happen there, but with cold weather, you know anything that comes down is going to come down in that funny white stuff. So it's currently 38 degrees and cloudy here at 523 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 527 here on this Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, 38 degrees and cloudy. If you didn't hear the breaking news earlier, Chris Christie is set to drop out of the presidential race. He is live in Wyndham, New Hampshire right now. And the the headline says Christie set to drop out of the presidential race, but it's already been put out on, on media avenues everywhere that he is dropping out of the presidential race. And again, nothing unexpected, uh, but we'll see where whatever supporters he has, where they'll line up. Now, there is a debate tonight between Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis. And um, do they step up? Or do they base themselves on policy? I I hope they base themselves on policy. Uh, I'm looking forward to the debate tonight. And we'll see what happens. But we'll see who gets the majority. Does it get split? Who gets it now? Does it go to Nikki Haley? The the experts believe Nikki Haley will benefit the most from uh, uh, Chris Christie dropping out of that race. But that's some breaking news there. Um. If you didn't listen earlier, you want to avoid the Allentown area on Friday as President Biden is set to visit the Allentown area to uh, tout economic success. Uh, Cover up a couple more things we covered up. The fuel leak forces the Pittsburgh-based company that launched that rocket that was supposed to land on the moon to abandon its moon landing uh, due to a critical fuel leak. So uh, that's not going to happen there. And if you're looking to visit the... uh, Steamtown Trolley Museum, the Electric City Trolley Museum. They're now closed on Mondays and Tuesdays until mid or to the end of uh, mid to end of February. I believe it was the 19th and 20th. They're going to open back up on Monday and Tuesday. So that's what you have there. Now, the, we talked about this, and this has been happening. I've had experts in the field on this. 
but it continues to happen, and it's getting more. Yemen's Houthis launch a largest Red Sea drone missile attack after U.S. warned them of consequences. Now, the Biden administration has to follow through with this because they've obviously sensed a form of weakness with the Secretary of Defense being missing, being treated for prostate cancer, and the president not knowing where he was, and the White House not knowing where he was. Matter of fact, his deputy defense secretary knew that she was delegated certain duties but didn't know why. So not, not, only, not even his deputy knew he was being treated for prostate cancer and was under general anesthesia for the, pro, for the procedure. U.S. and British warships shot down an unprecedented 21 drones and missiles fired Tuesday by Houthis from Yemen toward the international shipping lanes of the Southern Red Sea in what has been described as the largest attack to date. No injuries or damage were reported, said the U.S. Central Command, adding this was the 26th attack by Iranian-backed Houthi militants in the area since November 19th. The largest barrage consisted of 18 drones, two anti-ship cruise missiles, and one anti-ship ballistic missile, all of which were destroyed by F-18 fighter jets from the aircraft carrier USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, and by four destroyers, including the USS Gravely, the USS Laboon, the USS Mason, and UK's HMS Diamond. Overnight, HMS Diamond, along with U.S. warships, successfully repelled the largest attack from the Iranian-backed Houthis in the Red Sea to date, British Defense Minister Grant Shapp said in a statement Wednesday. The U.K., alongside allies, have previously made it clear that these attacks, these illegal attacks, are completely unacceptable, and if continued, the Houthis will bear the consequences, Shap warned. Will they, though? We will take the action needed to protect innocent lives and the global economy, he added. In a televised speech Wednesday, Houthi military spokesman, spokesperson said the militants fired a large number of ballistic and naval missiles and drones at U.S. ships that he claimed was providing support to Israel. So the spokesperson for the Houthi militants are saying they're targeting U.S. ships. Sari did not say when the Houthi strike had occurred or what damage, if any, the vessel had sustained, but that operation was preliminary response to the U.S. attacks that killed 10 Houthi fighters. The drone and missile attack came ahead of the planned United Nations Security Council vote Wednesday to purportedly condemn and demand an immediate halt to attacks by the Houthis. The Shiite rebels, who control most of Yemen, have been firing on the crucial commercial route between Europe and Asia, which accounts for about 15% of the world's shipping traffic, an estimated $1 trillion in goods annually, to show their support for Hamas during the war with Israel. The militants have vowed to carry out disruptive attacks until Israel pulls out of Gaza and threatened to fire on U.S. warships if Houthis themselves are targeted. Earlier this month, the U.S. and U.K. and 10 other countries, including Germany, Italy, Japan, issued a joint statement saying that Houthis attacks posed a direct threat to the freedom of navigation that serves the bedrock of global trade and one of the world's most crucial waterways. Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives, the global economy, and the free flow of commerce in the region's critical warways, the coalition warned. America simply needs to respond here.
It's simple as that. This coalition needs to respond. I don't care who they get to respond, but Iran, the Houthis, and Yemen need to feel the power of the United States military, of this coalition's military, not simply using a million-dollar missile to shoot down a thousand-dollar drone. That is unsustainable, and we need to send a clear message that if Iran's going to back this, then maybe Iran loses its biggest oil field. Maybe they lose their biggest Air Force base. Maybe they lose their biggest stockpiles of weapons. It's been done before, and maybe it's time we do it again. It's 533 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 38 degrees and cloudy outside at 538. Um, they just updated a headline in Wyndham, New Hampshire, that Chris Christie has officially dropped out of the GOP primary. He is speaking in front of a crowd there. Uh, got some text message in. Uh, people are, were confused about that. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis did separate they weren't really debates because they were just moderators there. So they were kind of like town halls against the debate, the, the moderators, but they were not together. Tonight, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are going to be together on the stage during a true debate. Uh, Donald Trump is also hosting a town hall tonight. So that's also going on. They're going to be happening at the same time. I wish they would uh, combine it and Donald Trump would attend the debate. I mean, his, his, stance that he's so far ahead that he doesn't need to debate with them is just not the case with New Hampshire primary coming up here. So, you know, the Nikki Haley is within striking distance of him. So should he debate? Uh, I think so. And, and I hope the debate tonight sticks to policy and specifics on what you will do if you become the president of the United States. It, it's simple as that. I, I want to see that somebody said, Rob, do you think space aliens kidnapped Fetterman and did something to him or maybe replaced him with a pod person? Listen, if he keeps going down the road, he's going down. Um, I, I have nothing bad to say. So it's simple as that. Simple as that. Uh, little tip, if you may want to hold off on filing your taxes because there's two breaks that could be introduced before tax day. Uh, taxpayers may want to delay filing their tax returns closer to the April 15th deadline as Congress negotiates the $100 billion bill that could offer breaks to both parents and businesses, experts say. Um, let me see. A bipartisan group led by the Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden and the House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith is wrangling over restoring some of Donald Trump's tax cuts in exchange for expanding the child tax credit, according to the Washington Post and cited people familiar with the talks. Though Democrat lawmakers aren't thrilled to restore the tax breaks prized by Republicans like bonus depreciation, research and development expensing, and the net interest deduction, they are willing to compromise in order to expand the child tax credit per outlet. Um, Experts are saying, what I would do is hold off until February to file taxes to see what's going to come out. You always want to take benefits, deductions, credits, and everything else into account what's going to benefit you the most, whether the benefits stay or not. So they're saying, you know, the possibility that they will could be ending the employee retention tax credit, a pandemic pandemic era incentive for businesses to keep workers on their payrolls and expand the child tax credit again. So 
as always, speak to your financial advisor and your tax preparer to see if it's worth waiting till mid-February to see what comes out of this. But the experts, and this is coming from the New York Post, and do your research on it, are saying just do that to delay to see what comes out of these negotiations because you may benefit from it. It's 542 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. Thanks, Rob. This traffic update is brought to you by Pentella Data Internet. We're looking at some heavy traffic on 247 in Mount Cobb. It is bumper to bumper on Green Ridge Street in Scranton uh, near Blakely Street. North Blakely Street is also bumper to bumper in Dunmore. Um, North Main Avenue in Scranton, we're seeing some heavy traffic there as well. And heading up the hill, Route 6 and 11 in Clark Summit, looks to be a little bit jammed. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thanks, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, cloudy and breezy, low around 30. Thursday, clouds, breaks of sun, a chance of showers or sprinkles. Snow showers or sprinkles, high around 40. Friday, sun and clouds, mid-40s. Saturday, mix of uh, rain and snow, lows in the 40s. Sunday, the cold front moves in, frigid air returns. So be prepared for Sunday. It's going to get cold, fellas, and it looks like it's going all the way into the midweek next week. It's currently 38 degrees and cloudy here at 543, your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 38 degrees and cloudy here at 547 on this Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. Again, the Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Well, I saw this, and the people who want me to stay local to Northeast Pennsylvania is probably going to lose their mind here, but I found this kind of one of those shake-your-head moments, and it's it was posted in our newspaper here, the Times-Tribune. Uh, it's from the Associated Press, though, but it was enough for the Times-Tribune to figure out, to, for them to put it in their paper. California lawmakers to consider a ban on tackle football for kids under 12. A California bill that aims to reduce the risk of brain injury by banning tackle football for children under 12 has cleared its first hurdle after legislative committee voted for the measure to be considered by the state assembly. Now, I agree. Uh, Equipment has gotten much better. Training for coaches needs to get much better, especially for youth football. Now, the college and the NFL have really taken this on aggressively. They have independent spotters that watch to see, you know, is someone dazed? Are they not all there? Should they be pulled and evaluated? NFL's doing a great job of doing that, and college is doing a great job of doing that. Um, Jake, if you want to chime in with that, too, as far as the concussion that the NFL is doing, it's really been taken out of the training staff and coaches' hands as far as what they look for now in college and and football. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I totally agree with you, Rob. And the the thing here with California banning this and kids under 12, you're hearing from a lot of former – a lot of former NFL players like a Ben Roethlisberger or a Kurt Warner, for instance. I know Ben was saying, you know, everyone, everyone's saying like, oh, you know, would, would Ben Jr. ever be a Steeler one day? And 
Ben was even saying himself that he would rather have his son pursue something else. I mean, it, it just shows, I guess you could say the when it, when it comes to youth football, like you were saying, Rob, obviously there's things that definitely need to improve as far as the coaching, the tackling, the awareness of concussions and whatnot. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and to, that needs to trickle down to the youth sports levels. Again, helmets have gotten a, a hundred, even from the time my, my son's played youth sports, high school sports. I mean, just the helmet way. he wore in high school, it, it's been changed eight or nine times to the helmets now as far as, you know, the, the reflex of padding they have on it, the give and the, the plate that has on the, the crown of the head, uh, the rule changes about, you know, leading with the crown of the head and, and targeting and tackling like that. But coming from... And I agree, let, let me reiterate on that, I agree most coaches in the youth sports arena, and this is before high school, before junior high school, are normally dads or people who, who were dads who kids moved on and they still want to coach youth football because they like it. They are very well-intentioned. They're mean, they mean very well. You know, my son had some great coaches during this year, but are they trained truly in concussion protocol? I know when my son started playing youth football, you know, I was an EMT at the time. Uh, you know, I offered the team, I, hey, listen, I don't want to get involved with coaching football at all. I don't want to get into the offense and defense and running plays or anything like that. But I, I'd like to be, you know, the medical caretaker for the team when they get scrapes, when they get dinged up, to look at them if something happened, if they twist something or get cuts. You know, I had my bag there and I could take care of them. And that's what I did during youth football. That was my my avenue of expertise, and that's what I did. And they they loved that because then it took their attention back to the game of football while I dealt with whatever medical needs there were for the kids. Um, I think we need to do more extensive training with youth football coaches as far as what to look for when kids should be sat out. You know, if a kid does have a concussion, you know, my rule was was uh, two concussions, that's it. You're done with football. Um, you know, my son did have one. My, you know, my daughter got one during soccer. Uh, you know, it happens during sports. But I find this uh, an ironic, and I think we should have all the protections in the world for our kids while they play sports, not only football, not only contact football, but any sport, including soccer, lacrosse, and many other sports that become very contacty, basketball, you know, you go up for a layup and you land on a hardwood floor on the side of your head, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to have some issues. But for California to take this lead where they'll do a gender reassignment, no problem, they're actually passing laws to protect that, but they want to ban tackle football for kids under 12. I just find that a little... Um, Puzzling. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm all for protecting kids, and I'm all for giving coaches and whatever training staff there is for youth football a better opportunity. I think the organizations that that oversee these youth football actions, I think they need to do a lot more in uh, doing training classes where they bring in medical providers, have several classes, or... Uh, you know, online to where, and, and again, it, online is probably not the best avenue, but it's better than nothing. And again, coaches, youth football coaches are very well intended. They're taking their time. They're doing these things. Uh, it's a great learning experience for kids, team environment, learning to take orders, learning to follow directions, learning to work together as a team, learning, learning to win and lose. And uh, those are great lessons for kids in any team sport, not just football. But 
I just find this ironic with California saying, yeah, we're going to look out for our kids because our kids' safety and their well-being is the best uh, is in our best interest. But when it comes to other things, not so much. When it comes to letting, you know, biological boys play with biological girls and vice versa, not so much. So how do I take this bill seriously? And they're not the only state. Um, no state has banned tackle football for kids, but there has been attempts to do so. Similar bills that were introduced previously in California, New York, and Illinois failed to pass. Illinois. California law already bans full contact practice for high school and youth football teams during off-season and limits them to two practices per week during preseason and regular season. Now, we have similar protections like that here in Pennsylvania. Most states do. Uh, most states, especially, you know, different Areas versions of the PIAA have their restrictions, have their regulations, and they are for the safety and well-being of these teams, these players. And it needs to not only in the youth sports arena, not only in the junior high and high school, not only in collegiate, but all the way up to the NFL, we've seen these changes. But like it said here, no state ban has banned tackle football for kids. Is it something you'd want to see here in Pennsylvania? And do you think... I'm off base with saying, you know, here's a state that has pursued, you know, letting kids make their own decision of of who they want to be as far as their sexual identity, but let's ban them from playing tackle football. I find that hypocritical. And again, that's my stance, my two cents. Um, Put it out there so you can have yours. Looking through some text messages here. Yeah, that thing that broke yesterday with the Soros-funded Fulton County DA is getting interesting. Uh, we might get into that later in the week. It's a lot of uh, TMZ and uh, and drama there with that whole thing, but it's going to have implications. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to look into the Fulton County DA who was prosecuting Donald Trump and some legal issues that she may be having now that um, she hired her lover, I guess, to investigate Donald Trump and gave him over half a million dollars in fees to do so and went on these vacations and such with him. So we'll see what's going on there. Uh, Rob, young kids, uh, young growing kids in the weight room, I can't tell you how many times I've seen coaches and parents pushing heavy weights on kids. That's why I, I say there needs to be more training in doing things like that. Not not only, and, and I'm glad you brought up the weight room, not only just in a football or a contact sport or, or soccer and everything else, but in a weight room, in nutrition. You know, you think you're doing the right thing as a parent, but nutritionally maybe you're doing the wrong thing because that's not your, it's not your wheelhouse. You're not, it's not your expertise. You can read on the internet all you want, but we all know uh, a lot of things on the internet. It's uh, 5.56 here at WILK. We'll be back to close out the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Well, that's it for the Rob O'Donnell Show today on this Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. Again, it's 38 degrees and cloudy. Just coming on 6 o'clock here. Uh, tomorrow, I got some great guests lined up. I have Jenny Tare. She's an expert on the border. She infiltrated um, a human smuggling ring via one of their chats. And she's going to be on tomorrow at, I believe, 4 o'clock to talk about that and her experience there. Plus everything else that's going on in the border. She was interviewing the head of the Homeland Security Committee for the House today. And I'm also going to have Carrie Shetfield, who's going to talk about what's going on with China as they become desperate as their economy falters because uh, 
people around the world post-COVID have moved supply chains uh, to other areas. So do they become more aggressive as they become more desperate? We'll talk to her tomorrow at 5 o'clock. So 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock tomorrow. Got some two great guests coming on. That's it for the Rob O'Donnell Show. God bless, be safe, and we'll do it again tomorrow.